0: I'm probably not going to be able to use this because it's far too windy today, even though it's warm and relatively sunny. But I'm going to record it anyway because the thought that it contains may merit repetition if I have to record it again. And if I don't record it I will have forgotten it. The notion that I want to suggest or put in front of you is that the notion of truth as something that is, as one might say, established at the beginning of time and is binding for all time, fixed, rather like some sort of Modern day version of the creation myth, and that all we've all been engaged in is uncovering it, disclosing it. Remember, the Greek word for truth is to disclose, to uncover, ah, lithia. all of that is of a piece with the nation. that it does so properly and necessarily because that's the nature of our existence and if I haven't made it clear yet I probably never will or couldn't or can't but I absolutely reject this notion I do not believe that we are uncovering truth I believe that we are creating it but not creating it as something which will in its turn be fixed, unchangeable, and so binding on all our successors forever, but rather as something which will in its turn give rise to change and give place to other truths, other ideas, that are deemed better than the ones that we're smart enough to come up with. In that context I've been reflecting on something else which is very closely related to it but perhaps slightly more concrete. Many episodes ago I read a section of Virginia Woolf's novel for the lighthouse, and it was generally in the context of the question, what's the relationship between a reading and a writing? When I read, am I seeking to discover what the writer meant? Or am I seeking, perhaps rather less? Honestly, or intellectually honestly to pretend that the author meant something that it's really my intention to mean and therefore in a sense hanging the responsibility for what I think on some hapless and probably dead author those would be exegesis and eisegesis reading out and reading in Interpretation and impression or superimposition. Or is there a third way? Is there a way in which I say, I'm sure that what this author has to say is in its own right interesting, because it probably wouldn't be worth reading if it were not, but the reason for reading it isn't just To do justice to it isn't just to uncover what it already says, to disclose whatsoever truth it contains, it is rather to use it as a springboard, as a stimulus, if you like as an inspiration. Something else, or something that I may think that I would not have thought but for the fact that I have read, seen, met, experienced, learnt that. But for that, I wouldn't be saying this or doing. I think it's a, a third kind of not so much interpretation or over-interpretation, but a, a way of using a source as an inspiration. Metagesis, if you like. Something that goes beyond and above and beyond what we could legitimately pretend to have found in the text or whatever it might be itself. And I think this is not just perfectly legitimate, but desirable. Not even just or merely desirable, but more praiseworthy, deserving, admirable. And so when I read something I'm engaged in a mixture of these three processes very little the second but certainly the first because clearly it is not going to benefit me very much unless I read and mark and inwardly digest what some other person has thought but that's Understanding that and learning that isn't the purpose of the exercise, not at least for me. It may be if you've got to sit an exam at the end of the term. But even then I would suggest that the best candidates add value, give back more than they take from any author, from any study. I think that what I would be imagining that the purpose of it was Would be to stimulate something in me that wouldn't have been there otherwise and therefore in a sense to produce a new part of the world that wouldn't have been in the world but for the stimulation by this particular piece of writing or whatever it might be. It could be a painting, it could be a play, it could be music, it could be a football match, it could be anything you like something that prompts the emergence of something that would not have emerged had that prompt not happened, been experienced. And that I think for me is the secret, the key, both to understanding how we progress but also to understanding how truth can't be fixed. I mentioned the Elton John business of the back catalogue not just of course Elton John but the notion that every time you stand up you're expected to repeat what you did last time or some elements of it because the back catalogue has generated a fame and the fame is what stimulates the fans and they love the familiar and they love jumping up and down and singing along with things that they already know in ways that are really designed to pass the time pleasantly rather than have any really constructive purpose So the death of the artist is the back catalogue And, as I've said before, one of the dangers of the academic life is that you write something when you're young, which at the time you're very pleased has made you famous and perhaps earned you tenure and even a professorship, and even a tenured professorship. But the problem then becomes that you have to find a way to move beyond it that takes your fan base with you or, since fan bases are peculiarly fickle, which doesn't take your fan base with you and is prepared to go out into the wilderness and say something new and perhaps unpopular and wait for the rest of the world to catch on. And of course sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. So the back catalogue fame, the past truths established at the beginning of time realities established at the beginning of time, decisions made at the beginning of time or a long time ago which having been made exercise a constraint upon us are the same problem that we've been talking about throughout a problem that's also experienced in things like Backwards compatibility of software, where if you're not to render machines and systems that have been built and bought and used in the past, if you're not to give them a power to constrain you, you've got at some stage to abandon elements of it to say we can't sustain this backwards compatibility. Indeed I was reading something in a manufacturer's documentation only the other day which proudly announced that everything that they ever produced would be compatible with everything that they had ever produced in the past and I thought well this is a very noble sentiment but it's a disastrous strategic strategic position because it means that you can't move on. I mean, Windows is already suffering from the fact that it's still, when you dig down far enough, built on DOS, and DOS was built in Bill Gates's garage about 50 years ago. Apple do, in fact, somewhat irritatingly frustratingly move on so that you find that a machine that you had ten years ago that served you well and because it was well made still works, the software can't be updated anymore. Now the cynics will say, well that's just a marketing ploy so that you have to buy new hardware because you can't run the new software otherwise. Well that's also true But it's also true that unless you have that strategy, you can't really move on. if If you say, well, take the classic example, something that I've felt very strongly about all my life. Take the example of baptism in the religious context. The idea of infant baptism has always struck me as absurd. Worse than absurd, obscene that you take a decision on behalf of someone, some baby, that at least in theory is going to be binding on that child forever. But nobody has that right and I can't think of a single decision, except perhaps that cruelty is the worst thing that we can do, that would satisfy such long-standing and unwavering support and and loyalty we've got to be able to move on, we've got to be able to say we're no longer going to support this hardware or this intellectual position and so we move in such a way that we both are based upon the past because clearly we are but also move beyond it, change it, establish positions that are no longer compatible with it, that are inconsistent with it, incoherent in relation to it, but which are nevertheless more comprehensive, better, and therefore, to my mind, truer, more true. That phrase that lots of people really find impossible to speak or think but there are degrees of truth and people are offended by changes that are incompatible where you literally have to say to somebody the words of the joke that I've used before you can't get there from here you can't get where you want to be sorry about the wind Position that you're currently in, unless you throw some stuff away and really throw it away. Don't not put it in a cupboard for safekeeping, but really throw it away, because it will act like a, a, an anchor chain. It will drag you back and drag you down. We have to be ready to move on have to be ready to see the truths that we once thought true as no longer true and ready to embrace truths that we may once have thought weren't truths in order to move forward. And when I read something or listen to something or speak to someone, any kind of experience that I have, there is nothing more rewarding than that it moves me on. It can sometimes be disturbing. And that goes without saying. We, none of us, like relinquishing our comfort, from moving out into the wilderness, into the darkness, into le- the realms of uncertainty, where we no longer know the maps, no longer can find our bearings. When we're going down from a mountain where we pitched camp and thought we'd arrived to go back down into the wilderness where we may get lost. But that's the price we pay, but it's a necessary price for disassembling systems that are no longer fit for purpose. And so, even though as I say I get very cross about it, when I look at my 2012 or whatever it was, Macbook that no longer is supported by Apple, I get irritated. But I also understand why you have to be prepared to make those sorts of decisions and to make the decision that you're no longer going to produce operating systems, support systems that will keep the old machines going beyond... The level that they've reached. So, yes, you're still going to be able to use a machine as a word processor long after it's stopped being supported by the manufacturer. But you're not going to be able to run the best machine learning software. An Apple Mac based upon a metal chip of an M2 running at 15. I don't know what it is, I can't remember. It's just going to leave a machine 10 years, it's junior for dead, or its senior for dead in age terms. Junior in power. And although it may be amusing and quaint to go back and run machines that we've grown up with, we we know we can't really do very much more on them than we could do 10, 20, 30 years ago. We've all made some bad decisions and we've all got angry with things that don't work. But things move on. And so when I read, to come back to my original theme, when I read I'm not just looking, as you might say, to Make the same points or draw the same inferences, come to the same conclusions or establish the same principles as were established by Aristotle or David Hume or Wittgenstein. I'm trying to use what they wrote, recontextualized by my understanding and by the modern world move on, to unmake their sense, in order that we might make better sense, a sense that is more true, more useful, better for us to believe. And, before we get complacent, let's never forget that that truth will also, in its turn and in its day, be jettisoned, be set aside, and become a, an antiquated, an antique, an antiquary in the museum of the human mind or understanding. But that's a good thing. Then you can put your Sinclair ZX80 and your TRS80 and your Apricot your IBM VC in a museum and look at them, and smile, condescendingly and say, yes, we thought they were wonderful, didn't we? Well, one day they'll think the things we're using that are state-of-the-art are similarly wonderful. And the new Douglas Adams won't be laughing at people who think digital watches are really cool laughing at people who think Apple watches are really cool, because I think they're the modern equivalent. So, the truth is what it is best for us to believe right now, not what was established at the beginning of time, and certainly not something that will go on claiming our loyalty for the rest of time everything changes. Almost nothing remains the same. Thank you for listening.